How many of you just love giving gifts? The expression on the faces of the people that you love when uh, they realize that you remembered something that they wanted that they told you about months ago, and there it is in front of them, that, that wonderful feeling of giving the perfect gift. Some of you would say, what I'm looking forward to the most is just being with family and just being with people that I love. And if you're like me, what you're looking forward to the most tonight and tomorrow is the food. What food item are you most excited about to eat tonight or tomorrow? I can tell you mine. My mom made egg rolls, and I sampled one the other day, and I'm already just thinking about egg rolls. Egg rolls, egg rolls is on my brain. And she made uh, kimchi pancakes. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is a Korean dish. It's a savory pancake that's got a little spicy cabbage cooked into it. I know Spicy cabbage isn't always a selling point for people when it comes to food, but trust me, it's, it's a delicious little dish. And so uh, I'm really excited. I'm sure you, there's different food items that you are very excited uh, to have tonight or tomorrow. In 2008, I was part of a team that went to uh, England, and we worked with a small Baptist church in a town called Beaconsfield. And while we were there, we did a lot of different ministry alongside a good friend of ours, Tom Williams, who uh, grew up in this church, graduated uh, from high school in Baldensville, went back to England to be a pastor at that church. And actually, he is now the lead pastor at this church in Beaconsfield. And we worked alongside of him for about 10 days. And I remember uh, one night we went over to the pastor's home to have a proper English meal. And we're all pretty excited about it. And as we were getting ready for the meal, all our newfound English friends were going on and on about the fact that after the meal, we were going to have pudding. I mean, they were like, as excited as I am about egg rolls and kimchi pancakes, multiply it times 10, they were so pumped to have pudding. And now we're trying to be gracious, you know, we're trying to be gracious, but the Americans were like, pudding? Like, I mean, it's okay. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world. I won't say no, but I'm not excited about it. Like, I'm not like jumping out of my skin at the thought of pudding. And so we eat our meal. And then at the end of the meal, they're like, all right, it's time for the pudding. And they bring it out. And it's this incredible spread of desserts, all kinds of desserts. And it occurred to us in England, pudding means dessert. And so they were saying, we're so excited for dessert. And once we realized what pudding was, well, the rest of the week, whenever they said pudding was coming, we're like, yeah, pudding. We love pudding. It was a reminder in that moment to me that in life, we really need to define our terms. We really need to know what we're talking about. And in the song of the angels that Pastor Vicky read for us earlier, there's one word in their song that stands out to me, one word that I think needs defining. And it's this, in Luke 2.14, it says, the angels have a very short song, it's one line, and they sing, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And the word that I want to look at tonight is simply the word peace. What do we mean when we say peace? Because if I'm being honest with you, when I look at the Christmas story, when I read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, there's not a lot of peace. There really isn't. Think about it. Here's the larger context of what's happening in the world at that time. The Jewish people in first century AD are under the heavy hand of Roman rule. They're not a free people. They are, they are ruled by the Romans. They are at risk of losing their cultural and their religious identity because of the Hellenistic influences of the Greeks. 
Now, if we zoom into the story a little more, we see that Mary and Joseph have their perfectly planned lives, engaged to be married. I'm sure they're going to have a nice, quiet life, raise a few children. It's dramatically interrupted. Then a very pregnant Mary is forced into a long, uncomfortable journey. There's chaotic travelers everywhere in Bethlehem. There's no place for Jesus to be born. The shepherd's nice, quiet, routine night is suddenly interrupted by angels. And in fact, every time angels show up in the Christmas story, people lose their mind. They're terrified. They're scared. And we know that because the angels always have to say the same thing first. Fear not. (laughs) Chill out. It's okay. And then there's the actual birth of Jesus. Now, is that peaceful? I've been present for three births. Two of them were natural. One was an emergency C-section. And there are a lot of adjectives that I could use to describe what birth is like. Peaceful is very, very low on the list. It's not very peaceful. In fact, the hymn writer, whoever wrote Away in the Manger, had the nerve to say that baby Jesus, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He's a liar. Whoever wrote that, whoever wrote that hymn is a liar. No baby doesn't cry. This was not a peaceful. You have a teenage girl having a baby for the first time without the help of medical care or doctors or nurses. I can guarantee you Joseph wasn't peaceful, and I'm sure Mary wasn't. This is not a peaceful story. And then it gets worse because you have a murderous, jealous king, a paranoid king named Herod who wants to kill this baby because he hears from some traveling wise men that this is the new king. And Herod is so paranoid and so determined to destroy this king that he commits genocide against an entire town of young boys, two years old and under. And then the Christmas story ends with Joseph and Mary and Jesus escaping in the middle of the night as refugees to go to Egypt. And the angels sang, peace on earth. And I look at the story and I say, where? What peace are you talking about? And I'll fast forward 2,000 years later, and we can still ask that question, can't we? What peace? Where is it all? U2, the band U2 has a song called Peace on Earth. And in it, Bono sings, I think he's very honest, and this is what he says, Jesus In the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. I hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? He's asking a fair question. Jesus, you said peace on earth. The angel's saying peace on earth. Well, look around our world today. Is there peace in our world? Is there peace in our country? Is there peace in your home, in your heart, in your life? I don't know about you, but I actually personally don't recall a year more, with more moments lacking in peace than 2017 for me personally. So where's, where's the peace that the angels sang about? You know, every year they release a list of here's the most popular gifts to get kids in 2018. And if you get one, you're like parent of the year material, right? If you can get your hands on one, you've got to Black Friday, you've got to be first in line, you've got to be willing to sell a kidney to get one, like whatever it is. But, but I, I did a little research, and here are the top three, here are the top three, or, or I should say three of the top gifts, all right? Now, kids, don't get your hopes up. These are really hard to get. You're not getting one of these, so just forget about it. Nor, in my opinion, should you want one. But here's number one. This is called a fingerlings glitter monkey, because this is what everybody needs, right? I mean, everybody needs little monkeys holding onto all their fingers. When I look at this, I just think, how am I going to eat with these things on my fingers? Like, what kind of a gift is this? I don't want this. But this is number one. This is number one. Number two was Roaring Tyler, the, uh, the playful 
tiger. These for real things are like wildly popular. Every kid wants one of these things. This thing will roar apparently, and his name is Tyler, so everybody's excited about this tiger. And then the last one is this soggy doggy board game. And it's a board game that actual water like drenches the board game while you're playing. And I'm thinking, this sounds like the worst idea in the world. Like the only thing worse than sitting and playing a board game is getting drenched while I'm doing it. These are some pretty popular gifts. But I thought, what if, what if on Amazon you could search and find peace? What if you could Google world peace and there it is, Amazon Prime, two days. It'll be delivered. Or forget world peace. That's really too big of a target. What about personal peace, inner peace, peace of mind? Do you know what people would pay for peace? Do you know how much money people would pay? How much of their fortune Wealthy people might give up just to have some moments of real peace. So how do we make sense of the angel song? And here's the key. We need to define the term. Now, when angels say peace on earth, here's what they're not saying. They're not saying the easy life. They're not saying comfortable life. They're not saying calm and no storms. Peace on earth is not the promise of wealth. And it's not the promise of health. Peace on earth is not the result of self-improvement or self-realization or self-expression. It's none of these things. Now, how do we know that that's not what the angels are talking about? Well, a couple things. First, we just looked at Jesus' birth and we saw that that sort of peace didn't exist in the Christmas story. But more so than his birth, we can look at his words and we can look at his life. Look at his words. Near the end of Jesus' life... He gathers his closest followers, we often call them the 12 apostles, and he gathers them together, and he's sort of giving them some parting comments. And here's what he says in John chapter 16. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Now look at verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have, here it is again, peace, and me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Do you notice that he said, I'm saying all these things so that there's the possibility of you having peace, but here's the real guarantee. There's going to be troubles. There's going to be trials. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be grief. No one gets through this world without tasting of it, without drinking from the cup of grief. Jesus in the Bible doesn't dance around it, doesn't offer you some sort of pie-in-the-sky uh, fictional world where everything's perfect the second you place your trust and hope in Jesus. These men were going to give their very lives for the cause. And Jesus was saying, you're going to have trials, you're going to have sorrows, you're going to have tribulations, but I've overcome the world. There is the possibility of peace. And so we can look at his words, but also let's just look at his life real quick. Jesus was a refugee as a child. He was on the run as a young child. Jesus was surrounded by controversy. Jesus was hated, hated by the religious and political establishment of the day. Jesus was doubted by his own flesh and blood. His family didn't believe in him. Jesus was accused of being a person of questionable character. They said, that man's a friend of sinners. 
He's a, he's a drunkard. He's all these different things. Jesus was betrayed by one of his followers. Jesus was denied by one of his closest friends. Jesus was abandoned by everyone in the darkest moment of his life. And then Jesus was subjected to an unjust trial carried out in the darkness of night illegally, swapped out, swapped out for a convicted insurrectionist slash political terrorist. They said, set Barabbas free and give us Jesus and then condemned to the cross, which was an execution that was so cruel that within 30 years of Jesus uh, dying on the cross, it was outlawed by the Roman government. Condemned to execution by a riled-up mob, then he was nearly beaten to death. And finally, and don't miss this, because we sometimes talk sort of in pretty terms about this, Jesus was murdered. He was murdered. And the song that was sung on the day he was born promised peace, on earth. When we look at Jesus' birth, life, teaching, and death, it must mean that peace is something other than the easy life. Peace is something other than everything going our way all the time. So what does it mean? This is what I think it means. This is what I want us to consider tonight before we close with another song. The peace that the angels sing about, which by the way, is the only peace worth singing about, is not a peace primarily here on earth. It's primarily a peace between heaven and earth. It's a peace between God and humankind. It's not that the earth is gonna ever be perfectly peaceful, but what the angels are saying, now there can be peace between you and the creator of your soul. There can be peace between you and the sustainer of life. There can be peace between you and the God of all. And I wanna show this to you The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 writes these words beginning in verse 19. He says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. That's the incarnation, God coming to live in Christ as human. And verse 20 says, Through him God reconciled everything by himself. That word reconciled means that there was a divide, there was a break. Our relationship with God wasn't okay. There needed to be reconciliation. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you and me who were once far away from God, far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, here's the good news, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him. I love this last phrase without a single fault. Let's be honest. When's the last time any of us felt like that phrase was true of us? Without a single fault? The peace that the angels sang about is the peace that comes from knowing the truth that because of Jesus, listen to this, because of Jesus, you stand before a holy and righteous God without a single fault. How is that possible? Well, some of you are visiting with us tonight, and it's so wonderful to have visitors here tonight, and I've maybe not met you, and maybe I'll meet you after the service, and, and maybe for just a night, I'll be able to convince you I don't have a single fault, although some of you have already probably decided I do. I do. <laughs> but even if I were somehow able to convince you tonight that I don't have a single fault, well, give it some time. Let's hang out. You'll figure it out. There's plenty of faults that come with being me, plenty of them. See, we know this whole idea of no fault at all. We don't, we're not seen that way by each other. 
And we don't see each other that way. In fact, we don't even see ourselves that way, do we? And then we look closer at the angel's song. Did you notice that the angel said, peace on earth to those whom with God is pleased? That's a pretty big deal. To whom, to those with whom God is pleased. Well, how could the God of the universe who knows all and sees all, how could he see us this way? How could he see us without fault? How could he be pleased with us? If we go back to verse 19 where we started in Colossians 1, it says this. Here's the answer. God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And the heart of the gospel message, which is the the doctrine of Christianity on which everything rises and falls, the gospel, here's what it is. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, the man, did everything necessary to restore right relationship between you and God. Jesus Christ, the man, did everything that was required for you to have right relationship before a holy God. Jesus did everything required for you to stand before God holy and blameless and without fault. Well, how did he do that? First, through his life, he reconciles us to God. See, we owed God a perfect performance record, but we couldn't do it. We can't even get it right for a, a day. Can't get it right. How are we going to get it right for a lifetime? But Jesus lived a perfect life in our place. Jesus didn't come as your example. He came as your substitute to live perfect for you. And then through his death, Jesus makes peace between us and God because we owed God payment for our sin. But Jesus went to the cross and he willingly paid the price for us. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place and he died a shameful death in our place. Here's what I'm saying, and we're almost finished. We owed God perfection, but we couldn't do it. And then we offered him, we owed him payment, but we didn't have it. And so God sent Jesus to provide both for us. Here's what the gospel says to us. What God required of you, he provided for you. That's the good news. What God requires of you, he provides for you. And when you look at that baby Jesus lying in a manger, that is the provision of God for you and for me. He looked down on humanity and was like, nah, nah, they're not going to figure this out. They're not going to figure it out. They're not going to get it right. They don't have what it takes to, to be in right relationship with me. And so what he was requiring was a perfect life and payment for our sins, which seems totally unreasonable and very harsh until you realize that that's just the first half of the gospel. The second half of the gospel is he provided that for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as, the, as a result, what we have is peace, real peace. Now listen. If you don't have peace with God, if you don't have peace with God, this is what it means. The most peaceful moments on this side of eternity, which are fleeting and fragile at best, the most peaceful moments on this side of eternity, it's as good as your life will ever be. That's what it means. But if you have peace with God, then the moments where there is no peace on this side of eternity, and there are many, then in those moments, you still have a promise attached to them. You still have a hope. And the hope is, because of Jesus, God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. And because you are one with whom he is pleased, then there's peace, real peace. The angel saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Let's bow our heads.
and pray.